You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. And welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee, and with me, again, my co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. So proud to be your co-host, Kyla. Co-hostest? I'm proud to be your co-hostest. <laughs> um, the podcast uh, um, always surprises me. There's many, many people listen to it. The, what surprises and podcasts me? have become a huge thing. they become a much bigger th- thing than, than I expected them to be. Yeah, I know, but now we have Clubhouse, which is like podcasts in real time, and I don't get it. Well, I found something. Um, I can play podcasts back at a uh, faster rate, so you can set them so it plays back at like one and a half times, and two and a half times, and I think people are like binging podcasts at high speed. And I'm thinking for that, I should probably speak with a deeper voice. And maybe just to fuck it up, we'll talk really fast like this so that they can never figure out what I'm actually saying. Uh, you could do that, but then nobody will listen to the podcast. <laughs> anyway, thank you to everybody who does listen to the podcast. Thank you to we, our do, we do enjoy doing it. We do enjoy doing it. It is like a major time commitment. Like I was telling someone recently, when we came up with the idea to do a podcast and a weekly podcast, I don't think we thought that, what, three, four years on, we would still be doing an episode every week. Well, we tried the uh, we tried one for the office and we failed because it was too much of an organizational thing because we tried to get too many people. Yep. Out of the office. And so when you decided to do it yourself, then, it, you know, it, it was a split responsibility, no responsibility issue. When it became your responsibility, because it was your podcast, of course, then you made it happen. And, um, and looped you in. And looped me in. And now I, you know, one of those situations where you get me into something and I have no choice. Speaking of looping people in, Paul, the BC government said over a week ago, that they would provide clarification on these new travel restrictions and loop the public in on the enforcement and what that was going to look like. And that was supposed to happen on Monday. Yeah, all they looped in was they merged some health regions. But that um, that was that done was, before Monday. And that was not no looping. But we still don't know what enforcement looks like. As of the recording of this podcast, which is Thursday nights, uh, we have no answers. Supposedly, tomorrow, podcast release day, Mike Farnworth is giving a press conference at 10 a.m. So we will have been about 10 or 11 days since John Horgan originally made this. Dropped a nuclear bomb on BC. And, you know, think of the the incubation period for COVID-19 <laughs> and the concerns that they had when they made that statement. Yep. Um I assumed that they had more information that was going to lead to an Ontario-like outbreak. Um, and, of course, you know, it's it's worse than it was. We're in a third wave. There's no yeah, doubt about but it. but we're 15 days in a row now of a falling, ever so slightly, but falling daily case average. Yeah. And so this announcement seems like it was based on, you know, here's the thing. I... I I'm overall proud of BC for the manner in which it's been handled. I am not in the position to second guess them. Um, 
these morons in other jurisdictions who are saying, do your research before getting the vaccine. Just get the fucking vaccine and protect all of us. Um, and, and, you know, we've been consistent in some respects. Some, maybe the consistency has been, uh, hasn't created the drama and threat. Uh, but right now it kind of looks like they didn't, they weren't consistent. They came out unprepared and unplanned. And I guess they don't have to worry about the political capital because they've got three and a half years before the next election. I just think that this is a situation of uh, bare naked ladies-itis. Which is? I could be good and I would if I knew I was understood and it'll be great. Just wait. Or is it too little too late? Is too little too late? It's too little too late. Look, we had the, the case numbers were rising. And so we put in the restrictions once they started falling. That's that's the very definition of too little too late. I think the case numbers were rising and more and more people have been vaccinated. It's about 55% now of adult Americans have been vaccinated. They oh are my having God. they are having no third wave. They're Canada like, is having a third wave. We've got about a third of adults vaccinated. All our but American as, friends are out. They're having fun. They're seeing people. Their restaurants are open at capacity. The point is that they are vaccinated. The vaccines work and they're getting back to normal life. If you watched any of uh, Joe Biden's speech to the uh, the uh, Congress the other day, um, it was the Congress and the Senate, I guess, was there. But whatever. Joe Biden's speech to them, it's not a, a state of the nation address, but his hundred and whatever days in. Um, they're doing great. And they are pulling it off. And of course, they've got the vaccine, but they're also giving away the vaccine. I mean, Biden's been fantastic. But point is, this is going to end quickly with more vaccines. Look at Prince Rupert. In Prince Rupert, they were desperate, uh, desperately concerned about an outbreak. Mm -hmm. There was max vaccination. Max vas vaccination. Mass Jesus Christ. <laughs> one one beer. Max Mass? Mass vaccinations. There you go. <laughs> it's terrible. Don't drink a podcast, people. Um, and uh, as a consequence, uh, you know, they shut it down. Yep. And so we were going to see this across the board. And by the time the government comes out with a, a clear statement on how they're going to enforce these restrictions, we're going to see the numbers dropping, dropping, dropping. And my prediction was by mid-May, we will see numbers dropping rapidly to the point where um, people are going to be out doing things again. Um, people were upset at me when I made that prediction on Twitter a while back. What but we, I think it's going to happen. What we did get today was a small amount of clarification from Dr. Bonnie Henry, who said, even though it's totally legal for you to go, for example, if you live in Vancouver, to Whistler, don't. Yeah, Just she's don't. been saying that from but, the beginning. Yeah, exactly. So then why the restrictions if we're going to make these massive health authorities and or health regions and then say, but also don't travel anywhere else in those health regions, but we're not going to prevent you from doing it or make it illegal. I don't know. Like, does me as a Vancouverite driving to Kelowna pose much more of a risk? Well, the fascinating thing is think of like April of 2020. All of these businesses shut down. That was all voluntary. Yeah. That was all. We shut down the law office. That was voluntary. Nobody said shut down your law office. You must shut down your law office. We shut it down. Ikea shut down. 
That was voluntary. They could have come up with some other method, and everybody sort of slowly reopened. Yeah, when but I we finally all emerged did it. from quarantine, I wanted to go to Nordstrom, and they weren't open. And I was like, what do you mean they're not open? That's very nice for you, Kyla. But the point is that we did all of that in a voluntary manner, and now people are looking at it and wondering, why are there so many goddamn people out on the street and people driving around? It's a goddamn pandemic. And the government is looking at it going, what happened to this compliance, voluntary compliance we had in March and April and May of 2020? And they seem to be dumbfounded and out, out of, without tools. Turns out the 50 and 52 weeks to bend the curve was silent. Was it? You know, two weeks to bend the curve, but it was 52 weeks to bend the curve. Okay, That's... whatever. Anyway. Yeah, some of your jokes are better than others. Yes, and that was a great one. It was just so good you didn't understand it. What I wanted to talk about, where this goes with driving law, Paul. Is? Is, first of all, we'll know more about restrictions tomorrow and we'll probably have more to say next week. But... I wanted to talk about the federalism angle because I've given a couple media interviews and a lot of people have asked me sort of on Twitter and in the interviews and just generally, well, why is it that people from Alberta can get in their cars and they can cross into BC and there's no roadblocks at the BC-Alberta border? We just have signs being like, please don't come here. Why are we not putting up roadblocks and not letting Albertans in unless they're traveling for the 19 essential reasons? Yeah, and you uh, gave some radio interviews or something where you said, oh, it'd have to be an agreement by both provinces. Yes. And I disagree. And Do I think, you? Yeah, and I think it's uh, I think an emergency legislation. I don't think it's necessary to obtain the agreement of both provinces. Jason Kenney did come out and say that they will abide by whatever British Columbia wants to do in these circumstances. Yeah, but, but you know what? You know, that would require some sort of order. See, I, 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 I hinted at this in the... Um, uh, in a radio interview with Radio NL, where I said, you're never going to get an official like agreement between BC and Alberta to close the border between the two provinces. And the reason for that is the oil and gas industry. And um, Jeff Andreas, the host of the uh, show that I speak on, said, well, you know, I'm not sure about that because they'd be traveling for work. But see, if you look at the response that there has generally been to restrictive government measures in BC that affect the oil and gas industry in Alberta, even if just to inconvenience it, it has been an extreme reaction. What do you mean? Uh, how, how? We're not going to buy BC wines anymore because you guys don't like a pipeline? Oh, yeah, but that's just silliness. I mean... Well, I know, but they're not going to shut down the border. And they're never going to come up with an agreement to do it because it would be silliness. And Jason Kenney will never do anything that will be perceived, even in the slightest way, as inconveniencing oil and gas. Um, the only real oil and gas corridor for that is basically the uh, Grand Prairie, Dawson Creek, Fort St. John region. Mm -hmm. um, and... You know, that's the main border crossing for oil and gas. It's not through Jasper. It's not through Banff. No. Um, and it's almost, a, in, in many respects, a separate region because it's such a distance to Prince George from Dawson Creek, for example. Yeah, but you've got Chetwind. You've got, like, I think, isn't Taylor up there? You've got uh, Dawson Creek, Fort St. John, Fort Nelson, and um, what's the one? Uh, Puskupi. 
well, yes, in Tumblr Ridge. But, oh, yeah, in Tumblr. I mean, nobody's in nobody's, Tumblr Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point is, I mean, that's, you know, you're not really dividing that. It's kind of like the geographical dividing line. Uh, more than the than the um, political dividing line of the provinces there, so the I would imagine that highway is not one that's ever would ever be blocked. The concern is the tourist traffic going from yeah, ain't no tourists driving from Grand Prairie to Fort Saint John. Well, yeah, and so it's the it's the. Yeah, exactly. What's your tourism? Oh, a smelter yeah. in Taylor. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the people who live in Grand Prairie, I, I like to think that they've been to Dawson Creek and Fort St. John for the sake of it. But I, I've been to Dawson Creek and Fort St. John and talked to people who grew up and lived there and have never been to Grand Prairie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the uh, I think the bigger concern is uh, people going from... Uh, from from Calgary to Invermere, yeah, Calgary to Kimberly, or, you know, something like that. Showing going up uh, to Fernie, yep. um, and that's what they're trying to shut down. It's not even that like people from Edmonton are not generally driving to uh, having an exciting trip in Mc, to McBride. Also, it's the, that the one corridor golden, that they're concerned with. What is it? Golden, um, yeah, Golden. Golden people go to Golden. People go to Fernie. People, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's Albertans, and that's their concern, is bringing in those you know Albertans with their variants. But let me talk to you about the federalism <laughs> angle because this actually came up way back in twenty twenty, if you remember, when Nova Scotia and the Atlantic Bubble shut down entry into the Atlantic provinces from anybody else in the rest of Canada. A woman named Taylor, Miss Taylor. Um, wanted to go into Nova Scotia for the purposes of uh, attending a family member's funeral. And she drives to the border and she's told, nope, you cannot come in. Atlantic bubble, turn around, go home. And she actually brought a lawsuit. I mean, it was essentially the BC Civil Liberties Association doing it on her behalf, but or not the BC, sorry, the Canadian Civil Liberties Association doing it on her behalf. They brought this lawsuit uh, trying to suggest that Miss Taylor... Uh, had her constitutional rights violated. And they argued, you know, that it was an unlawful detention and the court said, no, she wasn't detained. I'm not sure that I agree with that. But uh, anyway, there was no evidence that was adduced to show that she was detained. Well, so. there was no evidence that was obtained during the course of the detention that would mm-hmm. have been inadmissible. So court yes. doesn't care. Um, and then there was, uh, they also characterized it, e- even if it was a detention, as an investigative detention, which... I thought was a little bit absurd because if you have an investigative detention under the criminal code for the purposes of a health authority order being enforced, you've got a real issue there. But anyway, um, on the federalism, it's not in the belief that she's committed a, an offense. An offense. Yeah. yeah. There's no information or suspicion even there's and not seeking entry into a province is not an offense under a health order. But um, what I found interesting was the court said no, it was totally within the legislative competence of Nova Scotia to say, no, you can't come into our province from other provinces and to close the borders, and that it didn't violate the you know interprovincial trade or any of the things that the federal government has power over exclusively in the Constitution. And there were two reasons why I think that case would be distinguishable now. 
Um, and so I thought we'd talk about those. No, but your point is that you said in those interviews is that you would have to have an agreement between the yes. provinces to limit that travel. Yes. Um, and I still see no reason you've presented, no reason why you would have to have that. Because, and this is reason number one why I think that case was distinguishable, they did not make the argument that if you legislate in Nova Scotia in a way that has an impact on people who are not presently in Nova Scotia, that you are writing extra-provincial law, which you cannot do. Sure, but you could say you're not permitted to come more than five kilometers into BC and your only yep. option is to turn around and go back. No, you can stay within that five-kilometer radius. Or like Yukon has done, you can say if you come into Yukon or Manitoba, uh, you have to quarantine for 14 days, right? You can make it incredibly difficult for people who come into the province. But I don't think you can say... If you're from Alberta, you cannot enter BC, um, and we're going to write a law that affects Albertans in Alberta before they cross into British Columbia. You can only write the law that applies to them once they're over that provincial boundary. Okay, let's think about two countries. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a right to control your borders, and you write the law for the person who shows up at the border. Yes. And this is no different than writing the law for the person that shows up at the border. And you can say, we're not going to let citizens of whatever country come into Canada. And you're entitled to do that. Yeah, the federal government can do that. I mean, ah, they're not going to do it. But here's the difference, Paul. <clears throat> Canada is saying at a, at a federal border, we're not going to let citizens from, I don't know. Uh, Make up a country. Ireland. The Vatican. Ireland. <laughs> Ireland's a fake country. Yeah. The Vatican's more of a fake country. Um, we're not going to let citizens of the Vatican come into Canada because we don't like the Vatican. Uh, that would be fine because you have the right to exclude people from entering Canada. Under provincial legislative authority, the provincial government only has the right to draft laws and and make laws that affect people within the provincial boundaries. But they do not have the right to create laws that relate to restrictions between the provincial borders because that is not intra-provincial yeah. but inter-provincial was expressly in the authority of the federal government. I'm not persuaded. I still think that uh, in an emergency situation, the provincial government can pass rules that can restrict the travel of anybody coming into the province. Well, this was the other... Is it, will it be struck down if it's drafted poorly, if it's too broad, if it uh, isn't intended for the goal that, you know, they're purporting to, to deal with? Yeah, there's lots of different challenges that can be made to it. Well, this this is the other thing that the... Taylor decision said was, you know, this is an emergency. This is a pandemic. We're dealing with an unknown virus with no known treatment, no known cure, and no known vaccine. So part of the reason that Taylor found that it was within the legislative competence of Nova Scotia in early 2020 to create this law is that there was no other method of controlling the virus other than limiting the movement of people. But now we don't just have one known vaccine. We have four known and federally approved vaccines that are three of which available 
to British Columbia, and Johnson & Johnson, I think, is arriving next week. So four of which will soon be available to British Columbia. So I go back to my bare naked ladies principle of too little too late and maybe saying it's too much too late because where's the vaccines at? Um, I think that's a totally different issue. This is a driving law podcast. So it makes sense that we're dealing with the driving over the border from Alberta to BC. Um, and that's fine. But just on the other borders, um, we've had these limits to travel uh, to the United States where COVID is strangely now largely under control because they've had so much more vaccination. They probably don't um, want us coming there. That's a good point. Um, but the federal government has restrictions, including um, not providing any exemption for people who have been uh, vaccinated. And I think they've got a problem there because I think that... Um, they are no longer looking at the minimally intrusive steps that are, you know, already a constitutional violation. So you're forced into a COVID hotel if you fly back to Canada and you're basically imprisoned. That's a charter violation. It's a permissible charter violation. Why is it a permissible charter violation? Because it's at, it's an emergency and it's the best they could do, and it doesn't have to be perfect. But gee, what happens when the people who are flying back can prove that they were vaccinated three months ago, two months ago, six weeks ago? Mm -hmm. Right now, the federal government's saying no difference. Well, hang on a second. There is a difference. There's a substantive difference. The people who are vaccinated are not a risk. Well, I mean, you can still get COVID. No, but the likelihood is very slow, yeah. very slim. And you, they cannot, they're not going to be able to back it up with good scientific data to say that they are the risk to the public. Well, the whole point of vaccination is to eliminate that risk. And in fact, it does work. And you also have to look at the vaccinated people are still living within the rules that apply to everybody else in the rest of BC. No social gatherings outside your household. If you're having a gathering outside your household, which you probably shouldn't do, but you're allowed to do with 10 people outside with masks and social distancing, outdoor dining only, again, only with your household, um, no indoor dining, uh, no events. And um, basically, people are just going to work if they're not working from home and going home. So there, it's not like the transmission risk is you're out in the community, you're going to things, you're spreading it, you're seeing all sorts of different people, you're going to see the same people likely that you would be seeing other than perhaps your workplace if you were isolating at home, but at least you can go get groceries and you can pop in the office. If your interest is ethics, if you're an ethicist right now, you've got a number of, number of conundrums to deal with, including, uh, you know, do you have COVID passports? Do you provide different rights for people who have been vaccinated as opposed to people who can't be vaccinated? Or don't want to be vaccinated because of they're crazy anti-vaxxers or they've got some religious belief or some other protected right? Um, and are you going to start drawing lines and making these distinctions in these circumstances where we're not talking about an immutable characteristic? We're not talking well, about something that is uh, historically... Uh, suffered discrimination for 
We're talking about something that is an issue of the protection of the public. It also doesn't really seem like the vaccines. You know, ordinarily there'd be classes of people who can't get vaccines, like if you have the dead virus vaccines. People who are immunocompromised often can't take those because their body just can't do the immunity to the dead virus. But with these messenger RNA vaccines, it's different. I know. But and my my point is that we are going to have to grapple with this ethical quandary of how you don't discriminate or are you permitted to discriminate against the anti-vaxxers. You're not discriminating against the anti-vaxxers. I don't I don't think so. I think you know arguably you might be discriminating against a small group of people who for um for religious reasons or health reasons cannot be vaccinated, but those people are in such a small minority that you could probably excuse them if they could, you know, demonstrate that they are a member of these, you know, particular groups and, you know, screw the anti-vaxxers. So are you saying that there should be like a vaccine passport? Yep. And you think that people who don't have a vaccine passport should have more limited rights? Nope. I'm not saying anybody should have more limited limited rights. I'm saying they should have more limited privileges. Well, traveling across a border is a right. Oh, but driving across a border isn't because driving is a privilege and not a right, right? Like we look at Okay, we walking look at across the border yep. is a right. So you think they can discriminate against drivers just because no. They're drivers because driving is a privilege? No, I brought up the driving is a privilege, not a right thing. Because a lot of things that we think about as rights are not, in fact, rights, but are privileges. We're just so used to our privilege that we believe that we're entitled to it. Well, your freedom of movement in Canada from one province to the other is a right. Yes. Um, but- your, your freedom to come and go from this country... Is a right. Is a right. With with some significant limitations. Like if you're not a citizen, you don't have freedom to come into the country. Well, you have to get a passport if the other country is going to let you in. But maybe some other country doesn't. You're free to leave Canada, but that doesn't mean any other country has to let you in. Exactly. Um, But you are trying to now frame it as a driving law issue where the federal government in 2018 made wrote it into law that driving is a privilege not a right and therefore the government can discriminate against you on the basis of the fact that you're a driver they could they could fold it into that piece of legislation on the basis of the fact that you're a driver driving in a car and it's a privilege to be driving a car and therefore they can discriminate against you at the border because you are not vaccinated it's so on the virtue of the fact that you're a driver. No, I'm not folding it into driving. Well, I'm, I'm saying, using the privilege saying... right comparison. But it's so interesting. But that's to... a funny thing. It's <laughs> so interesting, Paul, to hear you take this position right now because a few minutes ago, when we were talking about Taylor and the limitations on on travel and shutting down the border, you were saying, "Well, it's a pandemic." And the government can violate your rights in a pandemic. And section one of the charter and the emergency doctrine, how do those not apply to a vaccine passport? In fact, a vaccine passport is really a much more minimally impairing way to do it. Because it says, look, if you want, you can still exercise all of these rights. Just get a vaccine. Well, that may be. But I'm just thinking of the nefarious aspect of 
Jody Wilson Raybould writing into the criminal code that driving is a privilege, not a right, oh, and God, how that's another discussion. And how they could use that as a discriminatory thing in these circumstances. I'm sure that they won't, uh, but it creates a an opportunity for government mischief but they can they can pass whatever <laughs> rules they want and then they can go section one of the charter or if they really are feeling emboldened they can use the notwithstanding clause well, and the I notwithstanding guess... clause requires review after a few years and by that point this pandemic will be behind us and the review will see that the legislation has no need and they can get rid of it it's interesting because the uh, pandemic has been the test of what the government can do and what the government can get away with and this has been an extreme circumstance the notwithstanding clause was designed for use in an extreme circumstance, and the governments have not wanted to use it. Well, they've because, used the emergency power, though. No, I know, but they have not wanted to use the the notwithstanding clause. Now, one can imagine, uh, you know, a zombie pandemic where they might want to use it. <laughs> but uh, you know, good on them that they didn't go for that. Uh, that they didn't go for that uh, big stick. I was talking to a friend a little while ago, who has many firearms. And we were debating about pandemics and if this ever happened again, they were saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, if this ever happens again, I'm not quarantining. I'm not going to fall for the two weeks to bend the curve. And I said, well, what if it's a zombie pandemic? Then you'd quarantine. And they said, I have enough firearms that I would not need to quarantine. Well, I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, remember in the U.S., there were people lining up at gun stores yep. and buying ammunition, buying all this stuff. I got to tell you, once the pandemic's through, all of those people who are, what do they call them? Those people who, you know, are, have their homes all prepared for the end of the world. Oh, uh, yeah, the not flat earthers. Uh, well, they're probably they're, that too. They probably are that too. Doomsday preppers. Preppers, yes, the doomsday preppers. preppers should realize that they've just gone through probably what will be the worst thing in the course of their lifetime as the pandemic ends. Um, and, <laughs> and, and that's it. Um, and they didn't need all those and they doomsday didn't, supplies. They didn't need all those supplies. So they might want to just, you know, clear some of those things out. Okay. Well, since you have brought up such ridiculous things as doomsday prepping, Paul, yeah. you know what that means. What? It's time for the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. <laughs> Ridiculous driver of the week. Hello, we only got through our first topic. I know, but we we spent half an hour oh, on our okay. first topic. Well, it was really three topics. I mean, we we kind of jumped from one thing to the next. We talked about vaccine passports, we talked about federalism, and we talked about government messaging. But it was all COVID. All in the context of driving law. COVID COVID driving law. Driving law is driving COVID law. Ooh. Okay, let's get on to the ridiculous driver of the week. So we debated because there were a lot of ridiculous drivers this week, but there was there was the guy from Florida. Is this the, the guy from Florida? No, this isn't the guy from Florida. Oh. Maybe if we have a little time at the end, I'll let you tell everyone about the guy from Florida. But I liked this one from Toronto, uh, a teen driver in Toronto, nineteen-year-old man, facing criminal charges after repeatedly driving his vehicle into a city of Toronto traffic agent. So this is like the middle of the repeatedly. day. Repeatedly. <laughs> middle of the day. It's like a, like a special constable, essentially. Like we see the traffic 
the traffic cops in Vancouver, yeah, not the not the traffic officers, but like the ones that are directing traffic. Yeah, for special events and things like that. Yeah. So he directed the driver to continue traveling south on York, and the driver did not want to do that. And so rather than, I don't know, do it anyway and just make two rights, uh, he rammed the traffic officer multiple times with his car, which is not really funny, except for the guy wasn't seriously injured. How do you ram him multiple times and not yeah. injure him? Yeah. So it's like bumping, he's nudging. Like just nudging him? Just pop, yeah. pop, pop, little love tap. 19-year-old 19, 19 decides to nudge police officer with his car. I mean... <laughs> Stupid, ridiculously <laughs> stupid. So but, stupid. But also kind of funny um, for ridiculousness. Now, the one I thought of was there was a uh, one in Florida, uh, Daytona Beach Police Department, have a video of somebody who pulls up at a drawbridge. There's an arm that comes down to stop people from going up on the drawbridge. I mean, it's a bridge that lifts up because there's going to be boats. And some person uh, goes blasting through the arm. And jumps the drawbridge in their SUV, right? Something that you might expect to see um, in a uh, in a film. I thought that was a very entertaining. I one. I loved that one because I liked the idea of like making that judgment call. Like, can I jump it? Should I jump it? Yeah. I guess I'm jumping it. Smash through the wood <laughs> first, like the wooden arm that comes down, and then and then you're thinking just and you're watching the video. If you find the video, watch the video. You're you're watching the bridge go up. And you can see that one side goes up faster than the other. And, like, if you are coming up on one side, you're going to drive into the end of the bridge. You're not going to jump it. You're just going to drive into the lifted bridge. Uh, but he happens, or the driver happens to be driving on the side that lifted faster. I am, like, and as 90, a 98% certain that as he did that, he said, yippee Kaye, motherfucker. <laughs> Maybe. There was uh, yet another ridiculous driver of the week that we should probably cover because we've well, seen this one a couple of times. It's a theme in this podcast that we talk about people who fake their license plates. Making their own license plate. If you're going to fake Printing your it on a plate, color printer. Listen to this podcast. Listen to all our episodes and hear how well it goes every time somebody seems to think that they're this genius. But this person actually did it better than other ones I've seen. This was in Alberta. And they took an actual license plate, but like one of those vanity plates that um, says, I hurt my car, you know, that you can buy like at a gas yeah, station yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And they put the decal on that. So they had a metal plate. And then they took those plastic license plate covers yeah. that people buy to prevent photo radar from detecting them. Yeah. And they put that over it. So it was never immediately apparent that the license plate was not normal. It was only when an officer like ran the plate and it didn't come back associated yeah. to anything that they were like, hey, wait a minute. I hurt my car. Isn't I hurt a, my car. Isn't an actual plate. Um, yeah, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. I mean, the links that these people go with their fake license plates and the creativity I, continues to get better and becomes very impressive. But still, you cannot foil the automatic license plate scanner. If you had two 2000... 12 Nissan Altimas the same color in your family and you created two plates and one of them was a lawful plate and one of them was an unlawful plate you'd probably go a long time driving with that unlawful plate yep um but it would require the two vehicles I mean and the police would have to not see them together but uh your insurance company might not know and might not ever put it together either 
Uh, and if you were in an accident, you'd always be able to say, well, look, I, you know, I made a mistake on the serial number. I don't know. <laughs> of course, they would then investigate, talk to your neighbors and find out that you yeah. have two Nissan Altimos with the same license plate number, at which point you'd end up charged with fraud. And then you'd hear that. Seems that, like a really complex. That, you'd like, hear that sound of the jail. like the, This sounds like a very complex crime that would never happen because it's so specific, Paul. My brother and I used to each have matching <laughs> Volvo yeah, gray yeah. Okay. 2000. I knew. Or 19, 1984 <laughs> Volvo 240 turbos. I knew there was a genesis to this idea. No, but I just, it just came to me. It just came to me. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, that's our podcast. Hopefully next week we'll have more to talk about. But it's been all COVID all week and no other news. And the only driving law related news has been this lack of clarity on travel restrictions so hopefully by the time you're listening to this podcast we'll know more about enforcement and in the meantime if you have any questions about driving law related issues you can find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com or give us a call at 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of driving law and if you're a judge and you're about to render a decision in some driving law thing just make it interesting and then we'll cover it yeah yeah, just come up with something good, some crazy <laughs> angle or something, and then we can discuss it. Give us some more things to talk about that's not COVID-related. Thank you.